Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob, and we've got to get down to work today. This is the last uh, in our series in the Gospel of John, where we've been reflecting on Jesus's encounters with people, which are often dramatic and, and kind of very surprising. In this podcast, we're going to have an encounter with Judas. Yeah, sends chills already down my spine. In the first half of the podcast, I want to reflect with you on some questions that I've heard over time about Judas as a pastor. And the second half, I want to look at this particular encounter in light of other encounters in the Gospel of John. And I want to get at what I sense is a, a real American Christian heresy to divide uh, sort of worship from serving our neighbor. And so I really have nothing less than, than a goal in mind to solve all the existential questions about Judas and solve all the American Christian Church's problems in the next 20 minutes. Well, I won't get, obviously get that far, but hopefully uh, uh, enough that uh, will keep you pondering. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made from pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For most Christians, this upcoming week is Holy Week, a week in which we walk with Jesus uh, through the last week of his earthly life, where he enters into Jerusalem triumphantly on what we call Palm or sometimes Passion Sunday, and the congregation sort of reenacts this, uh, singing Hosanna. And then there's uh, Monday or Holy Thursday when we remember his time in the upper room, washing his disciples' feet and instituting uh, his his Lord's Supper, and then on Good Friday when he dies, and then Easter when he's uh, Christians celebrate his, his resurrection from the dead. And so this becomes like such a crucial week. Did you guys pick up on the word crucial there? Cross? Anyway, okay. So this becomes such a crucial week. And I want to help us get into that by looking at this story um, that's tucked right between the raising of Lazarus and Palm Sunday, sort of entry into Jerusalem in John's Gospel. Uh, and I want to um, look at it, the second half of the podcast, in, in terms of like a fulcrum, really sort of helping us sort of open ourselves up to what happens during a Holy Week and even some more reflections more broadly about where we are as a culture and how the church has kind of gone astray and what this can teach us. But at first, I want to focus on the relationship and just this encounter here of Judas and Jesus, in part because this whole Lenten time, we've been uh, thinking about Jesus's encounters in the Gospel of John. And 
Judas is got to be the most haunting person in all of the New Testament, if not the whole Bible. There are so many unanswered and haunting questions about Judas. You know, why did he do it? How could how could he have done it? Um, why did the Lord not find a way to forgive him? Or why why does he end up alone and isolated and, and Peter somehow finds redemption? Again, all these haunting questions about uh, Judas. And I'm sure that at some point in your life, you've uh, had these questions about Judas. So let's, again, before we get into to Holy Week and everything else, let's just sort of uh, take a pause here and, and think about uh, Judas. I think the first big uh, haunting thing about Judas is that Judas betrays Jesus. And the betrayal comes from somebody who knew Jesus. It wasn't from a, a Pharisee or somebody else, a spy. It was somebody who had been walking with Jesus. And in fact, somebody who had had a position of trust, leadership even, responsibility, watching over the money for the group. And so one who had been entrusted with responsibility somehow walks away. Jesus, at some level, um, doesn't so much predict, but just reveals this is what's going to happen when he talks about the parable of the sower and the seed, right? The different places that the seed lands. And, and in some cases, it sort of takes root for a while and then ultimately gets choked away or eaten up by the birds um, or wilts in the sun. Uh, and, and, and Judas seems to be one of those who seems to have somehow for a time uh, been on Team Jesus. But then he wasn't. Uh, and and I, I think what's so haunting about uh, all of this is that uh, I think we fear that this might happen to us. Or we've known when this has happened to us. When we, we had a profound sense of faith. And we had a sense of who Jesus was, a clarity of our purpose in life, accompanying Jesus, following, being a disciple. And then at some level, something just went went wrong. And uh, maybe it was with the church where we went and we became so disillusioned. Not only with that particular church, and not even with the church as a whole, but maybe even with Jesus, if not even God, in the sense of... Uh, a God became just so so distant to us. I think there are many times in, in life when we have those uh, time periods. And what the story of Judas reminds us, that's not necessarily because the faith wasn't real at first. I mean, again, Judas was, was giving up much of his life here to follow Jesus. But, but things can happen. There can become real things that take us away from from our loving of Jesus, from our clarity and, and our sense of, of who he is and, and what Jesus needs uh, to be. I think some of it may be a part of sort of psychosocial development where we walk away from faith for a time or we sort of have to deconstruct the childhood faith we were given, um, you know, recognizing that some of the answers that we worked for us when we were a child or a teenager aren't going to work for us as adults after we've had different experiences or we just sort of have maybe a, a deeper capacity for sort of for the grays of, of life. Um, and I'd be curious for your own sort of 
sort of encounter with Jesus, have you had a time of, of faith and then a real time where, where who Jesus was and how that aligned with your sense of, of life? It just wasn't sort of cohering. Yeah, I think this can, can happen to us. And so I think Judas there speaks to, to that reality that we can love Jesus at some point in our life, uh, be entrusted with responsibility within a church, within a ministry organization, um, but that doesn't guarantee that uh, our faith is on autopilot the rest of our lives. I think the other thing that is haunting about uh, Judas is that Judas uh, seems to not have redemption. It's a, no question is Judas in hell. Um, was Judas forgiven? And why is it, yeah, that, that Judas somehow isn't able to conceive of God's grace for himself, even though in what Peter did in that culture by orally denying Jesus three times in front of other people may be actually just as significant in, in many ways. Martin Luther offers that Peter had a promise that you are the rock that Judas didn't, and that promise uh, gave Peter then the faith to know that he could be forgiven. And I think there is some some truth to, to that, the need for us to have a direct word of promise that we can cling to. But I, but I think if we only go with that, uh, that's too, too simple of an answer. I think it remains a mystery, um, you know, the ultimate fate of Judas. Um, it remains sort of one of those inscrutable mysteries of why it is that, that some people, after they've fallen away, are able to, to receive redemption, and, and why others that just doesn't seem to kind of click or to work in, in their lives. Um, I, I just, what I want to offer then as a word of pastoral counsel is that when we have people in our lives who, who do really either uh, stray from the faith or in the case of, of Judas end up taking their own life. I think as, as uh, family and friends, we can often feel as if we then, you know, had said the right things or done the right things. And, and wow, there, I just, it's so, it's so hard in those situations and where the dark night of the soul and, and the power of evil becomes uh, so strong that it can even, again, peel people away from the living Jesus. Um, so just a, a word of comfort and consolation that there, there is a sort of a mysterious way in which the, the power of evil is at work in our lives and, and in this world where it, it can uh, peel us, not just for some season of, of pruning and, and growth, but it, it can peel us away from, from love of Jesus, uh, love of the world, love of God, and even love of ourselves. So yeah, the figure of Judas will always be a really haunting uh, person, and there's no sort of amount of theologizing um, that can sort of uh, make us settled. He will always be an unsettling character for us in the Gospels. When one reads a passage in Scripture, it's helpful to analyze it, break it down, look at what the words actually mean, try to understand you know, the characters in the story and, you know, what their perspective is or historical details about customs. I mean, those are all ways we can analyze what's happening. But it's also really important to see a passage, never just in isolation, but the way in which it relates to other scripture passages. And this passage is one uh, that has often really been taken out of context and I think uh, leads itself into, uh, in many ways, sort of the great American heresy when it comes to Christianity. So there's this quote here, uh, or there's words that are often quoted by Jesus. You'll always have the poor with you. 
And what this often then is taken to mean is that when it comes to uh, worship like Mary versus serving the poor, that really the most important thing is that we're, we're to worship Jesus. And um, that sort of helping the poor is a nice, maybe second or third sort of tier of importance for us as, as a people. And what, you know, when it comes to sort of a heresy, I'm curious if that's sort of been your expression, experience in churches, where we're sort of often having to choose between a church that, you know, seems to do worship real well, and they focus a lot on relationship with, with Jesus and scripture, or a church that kind of does like social ministry and social justice, and they seem to really be engaged um, beyond their walls. But you're like, wow, like, I don't, I don't really feel like I've ever been taught how to pray at this church, <laughs> you know, or how to go deeper in sensing where God is moving in my, my life, right? We sort of discover God in the headlines or your Twitter feed, but, you know, where God is actually in the fight you just had with your child or spouse. Like, oh, I can't do that, right? So, again, there's often sort of this, this choice where we're serving others and worship sort of become sort of juxtaposed, and again, this text here, this passage is often used to sort of assert the primacy of worship uh, over service. And then others take passages about the importance of serving others and, and so forth. So I think it's important, again, to kind of look at the whole and, and think about where we've been and, and where we're going. And where we've been in the Gospel of John is that we've had a tremendous um, examples here of Jesus um, pushing against the notion that following Jesus is just about sort of becoming part of a little group that worships Jesus. So, for instance, when it comes to the Pharisee Nicodemus, Jesus really pushes against the Pharisees' notion that they could just by a, sort of following a bunch of laws sort of rise above sort of everybody else and become this, this um, sort of super holy group. Jesus says, mm, you know, it's not going to be about your own efforts and obedience. You need something more. And then he goes beyond the confines of his community and meets a total outsider, this woman at the well, and offers her living waters crossing cultural gaps to do so. And then we have the story of where Jesus meets and then heals a blind beggar on the side of the road, and which shows this isn't just sort of like uh, some random manifestation of his power, but an act of love as he goes back and he finds the man after the man has been shunned. And he, he meets with him and he defends the man to, to the Pharisees that are there. So if we look at the stories before this, we see that clearly Jesus is invested, cares about deeply people on the margins and serving people who are beyond the sort of the typically acceptable group, um, the, the outsiders, the sort of the, the non-believers, uh, if you will, and, and, and those who are poor. And then the, the next story after this is the Palm Sunday passage. But then after that, it's Jesus in the upper room where he's getting down after this woman washed his feet. Now he's getting down and he's washing their feet. And he's calling them to this life of servanthood to each other. So we have to look at this story in its broader context that... Um, Jesus is not saying don't serve poor people or serve people 
In fact, he, he again and again is going to uplift in deed and in word the importance of servant ministry. And so I think this is for us as American Christians really to, to hear because, again, we've been presented with a false dichotomy, um, a false division between churches that teach us to um, how to worship, how to understand God's work in our daily life, how to live in the Word and draw strength from it, and then churches that say this is how you should be invested in, in the community and, and serve others and uh, work for work for a better life for your neighbor. Um, that these two really have to go together in the New Testament. There's no New Testament vision where they're cleaved apart. And I, to put it another way, the, the church um, is... <laughs> I've often heard that the, the church... The, there's a temptation to sort of move from Hosanna on Palm Sunday to Alleluia on Easter and avoid uh, the crucify him of, of Good Friday. But I'm wondering if right now, like our, our real challenge as American Christians um, isn't so much that we're forgetting Good Friday, but more that we're just forgetting Monday or Holy Thursday when Jesus washed his disciples' feet and broke bread at a table with people who were going to betray him. That somehow Jesus here really is extending love to other people in concrete ways, even to people who don't care for him. He washes the feet of the one who's going to betray him. I, again, I, there's this, again, the church needs more, more Holy Thursday, more direct, tangible ways of caring for other people. Yet, I, I hear me clearly, I'm not advocating for, um, for a church that somehow has left the, um, the revelation of Christ's death and resurrection behind. Uh, it's, it's, it's just we need all of it. And that really is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is defined by um, sort, of, sort of the church over the centuries, um, that you have to have uh, both. So what then do we do with this phrase, the poor will always be with you? Well, I have been using Taylor Swift's anti-hero music to start out uh, these, th this season. And what happens with Judas is that Judas basically, he becomes the anti-hero. But he thinks that Jesus is the anti-hero after a while. That Jesus just didn't do all that Jesus was supposed to do. Um, and Judas becomes tired of rooting for an anti-hero. I think it's really easy for us in faith when we're young to sort of believe that with, with Jesus' power, we can totally transform and revolutionize the world or the church, our lives or the family. And when that, that doesn't happen, we, we get disappointed. And we actually go back to the well and, and pay a bit more money or sign up for an even more exotic or extreme version of Jesus. And it, and it doesn't work. And when Jesus says, the poor will always be with you, it's a reminder that there will always be injustice, inequality. There will always be those who can't make it in life, who didn't get their fair share. There will always be those who hoard too much. Jesus actually doesn't say that we'll ever fully transform the world. He invites us into a way of living, a way of living that hopefully looks different than the world around us, a way of living that is about humbly serving others around us and living in, in fellowship where we bear each other's burdens and sins and then live out this love. But 
that's going to require a, a force that's greater than our own. And so we need to, to go to the well that never dries out. And that's the well of Christ's love that's available to us in worship, in prayer, in the word. And so it's, it's really a word for Judas where he is at in life. Judas, you thought we would change the world all in a day or all in your life, and that's not going to happen. The poor will always be with you. So when we uh, struggle in life, let us actually remember this verse and, and, take, and take a lesson and take uh, a learning from it. Uh, that we weren't promised to change the world. We were rather promised the presence of Christ, who, as it turns out, will always be with us when we achieve great things and also when we stumble. So let us walk with Jesus, not just into Jerusalem as he rejects the political schema of the world, but to the upper room where he teaches us to serve. And then Friday where he teaches us finally that he loves us without any limits and to Easter then, to know that new life is indeed there for us. Hopefully something worth pondering.